Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I have an e-commerce veteran. He's a legend in the space. He's a podcaster. He's an author. He's a store owner. He runs his own events. Uh, if you don't know him, you are going to love getting to know him on this podcast. But I've got Steve Chu joining me. Steve is the host of the My Wife Quit Her Job podcast, a top 25 podcast in the marketing space. He's also the author of a brand new book called The Family First Entrepreneur, which we'll talk about a little bit on the show. He's the co-founder of Seller Summit, one of my favorite events to attend and speak at. I think I've spoken there three or four times coming up at the time of this recording, which is which is great. And then also co-founder of Bumblebee Linens. And so we're going to be talking life cycle marketing, AI, and probably other fun stuff because he's a podcaster. He's comfortable with all this. But with that intro, Steve Chu, my man, how you doing? Uh, welcome to the show and, and thanks for coming on. Dude, what up, Brett? Always happy to talk to you and very thankful that you were able to speak at Seller Summit. I want to say for the past five years, I want to I say. I think that's right. I think yeah. it's been five years. Um, Seller Summit has become one of my favorite events to attend and speak at. I think I've spoken there for the last four or five years. And it's also been really fun to watch the attendees grow. Now, you keep it small and intimate on purpose, but like the size of the sellers, like you, you're seeing their businesses grow uh, over the last several years, which has been fun to watch. And so I don't know what your perspective is on, on that as the event organizer. It's been great. Actually, the average revenue per attendee is in like the mid seven figures now. And it wasn't like that. In the very beginning, seven years ago, everyone was making like six figures. And it's been amazing to see them grow over the years. And uh, your talks always get high marks, which is why I always invite you back. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Good, good to hang out. I always just enjoy like the speaker networking and, and the, the speaker mastermind you do, but always a good time. Great audience and and super fun event. So uh, talk to us about the, I, w- I want to dive into a few things. We're going to talk about, about life cycle marketing and, and you've got a really unique perspective because you run a podcast, you run an event, you talk to merchants all the time, but you are a merchant, you run a store. And so we're going to talk about life cycle marketing and love your perspective there. Also going to get into AI just a little bit because I, th- I think you're using it in a very unique way, a uh, very powerful way. So we're going to dive into that. But uh, talk to us about like wh- what was the process like to write this book? So Family First Entrepreneur, what's the motivation behind that? And what was that process like? Just curious. Yeah, I- I'll just tell you the motivation was uh, I've been blogging for like 10, 11 years now, over a decade. My mom has never read a single thing, but... As soon as I told her that I was doing a traditionally published book, she got all excited and wanted to read it right away. That made me very happy. So you're you're doing this so that hopefully your mom puts like something on the fridge. Like, look, look, look at what Steve did. He wrote he wrote a book. He finally did something interesting. There's a lot of childhood trauma there. Let's not get into that. But uh, yeah, the other reason was it's always been on my bucket list, and uh, I just want to walk my kids to the bookstore. Hopefully, this bookstore that's the only bookstore that's left in my area stays in business in time for the book to be released yeah. so I can actually walk them through there. So, Dude, that would be amazing. Yeah, like, hey, Dad wrote that book. Also, for you to do a book signing at that bookstore, that would be super cool as well. I'm not sure if they'll, uh, you know, I'm going to do a tour. Is. I'm going to do a tour. Are you really? I am. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. Just like a, a relaxing tour where I'm just going to go around and just do a little book signing here or there. I don't know if I'm going to make it out to your neck of the woods, Brett. Uh, you're... <laughs> no Springfield, Missouri? Come on, actually, for... <laughs> Uh, for a mid-sized market, we are very entrepreneurial uh, in in nature and entrepreneur friendly. 
actually I saw it was Inc or four, somebody uh, several years ago ranked us as like one of the top mid-sized markets for entrepreneurs, which is kind of cool. Well, but maybe I'll have totally it at OMG, it. who knows? What's that? You let me to your offices, maybe I'll have one there. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do it, let's do a book <laughs> signing at OMG headquarters. I love it. So more about the book later, but let's let's do this. So you're the co-founder and you also said you called yourself the grunt at uh, Bumblebee Linens. So uh, explain what you guys saw, what you guys do, and then we're going to get into lifecycle marketing in just a second. Yeah, so we mainly sell handkerchiefs and linens for special occasions. And I would say our primary customer base are people who are getting married, people who have baptisms, and unfortunately, we also do a lot of funerals. But we personalize these hankies, so we actually have these industrial sewing machines in our warehouse, and we do a lot of sewing. Which means generally there's not a lot of repeat business, right. but right. You, you know we're talking about life cycle marketing, which implies that you sell to your customers a lot. Uh, we do have a really strong set of repeat customers. And believe it or not, uh, I kind of discovered this by accident, but there are a lot of people who collect handkerchiefs also, really? which is something we discovered over the years. Yeah. They collect handkerchiefs like ba- based on... Uh... Based on special events or something, like they're 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 buying a handkerchief to to commemorate something, or they just they want to buy them different like styles. Parts. It's kind of like you know those people who have like a hundred pairs of shoes, yeah, in their closet. Yeah. These people have like thousands of handkerchiefs. It's crazy. So you got the you got the sneaker heads. You got the shoe dogs out there. You got the we got the hanky heads. The hanky heads. Hanky heads. That is that is hilarious. So. Yeah, it's a good point. So, I mean, you know, obviously people do get married more than once on, on occasion, certainly, and, and you have those uh, other events. But yeah, this is not like I'm not going to join the Hanky of the Month Club unless you're in that in that crowd or I'm not going to buy one a year or something. So, so yeah, I was a little surprised when you said, hey, one of the things I'm passionate about is life cycle marketing. Let's talk about it. So, so how do you, how do you think about life cycle marketing uh, knowing that the vast majority of your clients are only going to buy once? Yeah, so just throwing some numbers out there. So only 12% of our customers are repeat, but it actually represents over 36% of our revenue. And I kind of stumbled upon this one day by just kind of looking through our- Does that just mean that the AOVs are really high for your repeat customers? They are. I'm going to tell you why. I'm getting into that. Yeah. Good, good, good. good. Sorry, jumping ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just looking through the stats and I just noticed some customers in there that were purchasing a lot of linens. Like if some person's like purchasing 40 dozen napkins or like a hundred hankies, it's kind of unusual, right? So one day just on a whim, I, I called the person up and I was like, hey, you know, we, we noticed you ordered a large quantity and you've ordered more than once. Um, can I ask what you do? And then they told me, hey, yeah, we're an event planner. We do this all the time. And so I was like, okay, great. Here's a custom coupon code. And here's a dedicated rep. So when you need anything for the event, we'll make sure it gets there. We'll put a person on it. And so now what we do is we go through our customer list almost every single month, find those outliers, and we just call them up and like on, on the phone. People are always surprised. You like, literally call them on the phone. On the, on the phone. Yes. Not are they email, like shocked? Like, They're like, wait a minute, the e-commerce store that I just bought from is calling me on the phone right now? Exactly. But they're good. I mean, they, they bought from you. They know who you are, Right. So they're more receptive and we're always really polite. We lead in with, you know, coupon, dedicated rep, you know, extra care of, of the order and it works really well. And so these people who we get that way end up being customers for life and they buy a lot and they buy often. Yeah. I love that. I, I think, uh, I know, I know we're mutual friends with uh, Drew Sanaki 
nerd marketing, but also involved in a, in a number of companies, just kind of a legend in the e-commerce space. But he talks about identifying your whales, right? Identifying, uh, looking at things like recency, frequency, monetary value. So how, how soon did someone purchase? How often did they purchase? And then the, the monetary value of what they purchase. And so you identified those people and now you're, you're totally giving them the white glove treatment. Phone call, thank you, coupon code, dedicated rep. And yeah, after you do that, customer for life, right? Like, why are they going to go anywhere else? Why would they choose Amazon or something for their, their next linens uh, they want to they buy from you? So. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we also noticed, and I recommend that everyone do this, is we looked through all of our traffic sources and we found out which traffic sources had the highest revenue per visitor. And because, you know, before that, before I did this analysis, I was just kind of looking at everything in aggregate. You know, if everything's good, usually, you know, you, you don't look at it. But I started looking at it and I noticed that the people I was getting from Facebook were our lowest revenue per visitor of all the traffic sources. Interesting. The people who were coming in organic through Google were our highest value people, which tends to be true, for, I would say, for most stores. But uh, that's what caused me to actually focus more on the organic SEO side. Interesting. And, and, as, and as a Google paid guy, and I also have a background in SEO, I love SEO too, but how how did Google, so Google organic is the highest. Was it still comparable to like Google paid search as an example, or was it noticeably different? No, uh, paid search is up there too. I mean, they're they're one and the same, right? I mean, yeah, similar, similar. You're, you're you're actively searching at that high buyer intent, so that that's different than someone that you're, you know, like demand gen type advertising with with Facebook. Maybe Super you could comment on this, Brett. But uh, I moved over to Performance Max. And yeah, Performance Max is a black box. It so is. It's actually kind of hard to tell where everything's coming from once I did that. Yeah. Uh, so a couple things. I can send this to you after we're done recording. There's a, a script that uh, my buddy Mike Rhodes, uh, he runs Web Savvy and Agency Savvy is based in Australia. Brilliant, brilliant Google marketer. He and his team built this script and we added a little bit to it. But basically you run the script, it'll pull all the data outside uh, or pull all the data out of Performance Max and show you where the spend is going. So it gives you quite a bit of insights to know what you might need to adjust or what you might not need to adjust. And we have heard, because everyone is telling Google the same thing, like we want more visibility, we want more data inside of Performance Max, that some data is gonna be coming into the account. Uh, so we'll see. We have seen though, kind of any way we slice it, Performance Max is doing pretty well for most of our clients. We spend now between four or five million on, on just Performance Max uh, here in the last year or so. And uh, a little better than smart shopping and new customer acquisition. Uh, we can scale it a little bit better, but there are definitely some kind of best practices to follow in terms of um, the way, you know, the assets you give it and the way you structure your asset groups and the way you bid. You know, I'll be talking about that at, at Seller Summit, which would be, which would be fun. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what I like about Performance Max is, is that you can actually maintain it with, it's relatively low maintenance. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, if you want to be hands-off, a performance max and you've got all the right assets there you can totally be hands off if you and this is this is also uh, like why i kind of hated it in the beginning because i thought it would only be hands off you can be hands off if you want but if you want to tinker and you want to add new things you want to try segmentations you can do that too and and we've we've been able to kind of push the envelope with a couple of clients by creating multiple campaigns or by the way we structure the asset group so it's, it's kind of interesting but yeah if you just Got it kind of simple and it's dialed in. It'll just it'll just keep working, which is which is great. Did you see and then and we're we're getting a little bit uh, deep into off P-Max. topic? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you find did your performance improve 
from Smart Shopping to Performance Max, or is it about the same as it was with Smart Shopping? So I was actually never using Smart Shopping. I was only on Shopping. Okay. And okay. just regular. Uh, and, and I found that, unfortunately, Performance Max kind of eats into the- It does. The other campaigns. So um, I just like the hands-off nature of it. And overall, it gives me greater reach. The, the ROAS isn't as good, but it gives me higher reach. I, I make more money overall. So that's why I like it. Yeah, and, and the, the issue with just standard Google Shopping is your your placements are limited to just the search results, right? But but you'll notice if you if you pay attention, if you're shopping for something and then you go to YouTube uh, or you go to a, a site that's part of the Google Display Network, which is like 90% of the, the internet, you'll start to see product listing ads or Google Shopping ads for related products, not even the products you clicked on. But if you've been searching for cookware or a vacuum or whatever, like you'll, you'll start to see ads for those things in other places, and that's largely driven by Performance Max, which is interesting. I, d- so, I see so, yeah. linens everywhere I go now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, cool. So, okay, so you identified, uh, so you identify your best customers. You call them. You give them an offer. You identify your top traffic sources. What else do you do that's unique related to to lifecycle marketing? Yeah. So we we just have different buckets for customers, and I don't know if this is unique. I'm sure other people are doing it, but uh, we have like a portion of our list that has never bought before. So we'll, for those people, we'll discount a little bit more heavily just to get them to make that first purchase, just to get them to open up their wallet. Uh, we also have a bucket of customers that have purchased once, but didn't purchase again. And I just can tell from our data that if we can get someone to buy again, like just twice, uh, anything, chances are they're going to be a longer term customer, Right. So we do whatever we can for them to get that second purchase. We'll cross, so we have these flows automatically set up in Klaviyo so that, uh, I'll give you an example. We sell three different types of napkins in our store, um, cocktail, lunch, and dinner napkins, and we usually okay. sell them in matching sets. So if someone buys like a cocktail napkin but does not buy a dinner napkin or a lunch napkin, we automatically send an email that tells them, hey, did you know that we sell matching lunch napkins and dinner napkins? And so we're kind of automatically getting them to buy again, cross-selling. And it's it's all fully automated uh, in the autoresponder sequence. So for those people who bought once and haven't bought again, we just cross-sell them other products that are just kind of automatically related based on what they bought. What's kind of the what's kind of the take rate on that typically? Do you know off the top of your head? Like if you, if you send that, hey, you bought the cocktail napkins, but not lunch or dinner, and we sell matching, are you getting a pretty good take rate on that? Uh, the take rate is probably in the low double digits, high single digits. Yeah. But we actually cross-sell a bunch of... So another example also is, hey, did you know that we sell personalized cocktail napkins? The, the take rate for that is higher. So if they want their initials on it and, and whatnot, um, that tends to work better. So we'll leave with that. So that that's more of an upsell, right? So you got cross-sell, you bought, you bought cocktail napkins. Now here's the lunch and dinner that are matching. But there may have been a reason why they only bought cocktails. So now you're saying... Hey, you've already got those, but now get customized Correct. cocktail napkins. Correct. Got it. And then there's a higher take rate for that. Correct. Correct. Totally makes sense. Interesting. What are some of the mistakes? Because again, I know you got a unique perspective. You talk to people at Seller Summit and you, you run a podcast. What are some other mistakes, either either tactically or with the approach or mindset? What are mistakes you see people make when it comes to lifecycle marketing? I would say the the biggest mistake I see people make is spending all their money on customer acquisition and just kind of neglecting the repeat business side. And I can get it. I get it. You know, it's much sexier to get a new customer, right? You're running ads and you get these new customers, but then 
our business wouldn't be the same if we didn't have our repeat customer base, right? Totally. Totally. Because it's a solid foundation to build upon. And in fact, that's the way we grow. We constantly build upon these repeat customers. Yeah, 30, 36% of your revenue. That's huge. Yeah. And not only that, getting new customers is just getting more and more expensive every single year. So you almost have to focus on your existing customers in order to survive, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. And I heard this from Jabraham first, but there's really only three ways to grow a business, right? It's more new customers, so customer acquisition. It's getting people to buy more each time they purchase, so so increasing your AOV. And then it's getting them to buy more often, right? Increasing the LTV. So new customers, AOV, LTV, those are really, that's it. Like millions of tactics you can kind of layer in there, but those are, that's it. And it's it's often easier, more profitable to to either in, increase your AOV or extend, you know, increase the LTV uh, over time. And so- And can we just talk about pricing a little bit too? Like we- We would love to. Yes, we'd love your perspective on pricing. Absolutely. We pretty much don't do big discounts anymore. And it was only after I did the math did I just kind of discover how detrimental a, a discount is. So, you know, like during Black Friday, a lot of people do heavy discounts. Uh, let's just take some numbers here. Let's say you have a product that sells for a hundred bucks and your margins are 50%, which means it costs you 50 bucks. Yep. Right? Let's say you typically sell a hundred units a day of that item, right? So you're making 5,000 units, $5,000 a day. Let's say during Black Friday, you decide to do a 25% sale, right? I like it. I like Not a big it. deal. A lot of people do that, right? So all yeah, of a sudden- just, It's just 20%. It's just 20%, Steve. But it's yeah, not. 25%. That's it. That's it. So the new math is you're selling it for 75 bucks. Your cost of goods is still 50. And so you're only making 25 bucks per sale. And all of a sudden you need to sell 200 units a day just to break even. Right. 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 So every- Yeah, you cut your margin in half. Another way to say it is you've got to double your sales to make the same amount of money. Yeah. Yes. Most people don't realize it. Most people only think that they need to make up 25% more sales to make up for that 25% coupon. Right. And I'm being generous here, right? 50% margins is, I mean- Those are healthy. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people would love to have 50% margins. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what's cool is the opposite is true. Like when you raise prices, right? Uh, let's say a store's net margin is 10%. I think I looked that statistic up at one point. Like the the average net margin after everything for an e-commerce store is ten percent. Right? Let's use that same example. So a hundred bucks, you're making ten bucks, right? Per per sale. Let's say you decide to raise your prices just one percent, right? Just a dollar. You can probably raise your price one percent and not see that effect on your sales. So all of a sudden now you're making eleven dollars in profit. That's 10% more. 10% increase raising... in profits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even, and that's also one of those things where, and, and people are kind of used to price increases now because of, of inflation and just the, everybody knows the cost of goods are going up and whatnot. In that scenario, you raise your prices 10%, which may not be that big of a deal, right? So you go from 50 to 55 or something like that. That could double your profits, right? Because you're at a 10% margin, which is pretty crazy. So yeah, love that. Love that. Um, Cool. So eye-opening, like we got to think more than just customer and new customer acquisition. We got to think about lifecycle marketing and, and, and putting people into different buckets, focusing on those whales or those VIPs or those most profitable customers and really treating them differently. And then love this pricing discussion too. Uh, just because I want to make sure we give it adequate time. I want to talk about AI because, you know, I think, I think you're doing some, some pretty cool stuff there. You're getting some tangible 
measurable results from AI. Uh, but first of all, what, what's your general what's your general take on AI? Should we be scared? Is AI coming for our jobs? Are you are you excited about AI? Nervous about AI? A little bit of both. What, what's what's your general take? I see. I think on the content side, I'm a little worried because a lot of my business is based on SEO. Uh, I don't know if you've tried the new Bing search. Have you? Have you? Not much. I've tried more Chat GPT. Some some team members have tried uh, Bing, and I'm hearing mostly good things about it. Uh, I do hear that Google's Google's got barred, right? But I've, I I heard there's a new thing coming called Project Magi. I think. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, that, yeah. That'll that'll be interesting. So yeah, we'll see how that all shakes out. But yeah, yeah continue. I was going to say like it's just a, if you use the new Bing, it's just kind of a glimpse into what how things are going to look like in the future. So. Let's say you type in, what are the best hankies? Well, in Bing search, which is based on ChatGPT4, I believe, only the top four results come up. And it's not like search. It says, hey, the top hankies are from this place, this place, this place, and this place. And they're citations, which basically means you really need to be in that top four just to wow. get any clicks wow. yeah. going forward. And if you run an affiliate site or a content site, you're just going to get the answer and no one's going to click on the citations, right? Yeah, super interesting. So now, you know, where it's always been super important to be page one, it's always been important to be at the top of page one. Now you got to be like top four, your your toast, basically. Yeah, so I think content sites are in trouble. I think e-commerce is okay, but you're going to have to really take those top coveted spots in order to get traffic. Yeah, bid to be in those top spots treat customers in a, in a way that you're going to get good reviews, offer a great product so that's going to, going to kind of fuel everything else. Um, cool. So so talk about kind of how, how are you guys using AI um, to, to grow your business? Yeah, you know what's cool about AI? And, and, you know, a lot of people are using it for content. A lot of people are using it for like bullet points for Amazon. Uh, some of the cool ways that we've been using it for is just even for product ideas. So Let's say, um, so you're, you're a dad of, of a ton of children, right? Eight so, kids, man. I got, <laughs> got the yeah. Ocho age. I, I didn't think I'd ever meet someone with more kids than Tony, but yeah. You, <laughs> you got to be by one, right? She's got seven. <laughs> yeah, we, we instantly connected. Like, you know, the, us, us weirdos <laughs> with lots of kids, we're, we're different, uh, cut from a different cloth. You can actually ask ChatGPT to give you products someone with a father of eight kids would be interested in. Maybe that's a little broad, actually. But you can actually get really good product ideas based on just demographic information that you give it. Interesting. So give me product ideas for this type of person, this avatar. Yeah. Um, The same works for cross-sells also. So like, hey, give me stuff that people would buy hankies with and or uh, napkins or linens or whatever. And Sometimes it comes up with some obscure products that you actually might want to look into carrying. Interesting. So have you used uh, AI to to fuel your next product idea? Or is it more like it gives you some ideas and that spurs other thoughts? Or have you taken like an idea directly from ChatGPT and executed on it? I mean, that's kind of how we stumbled upon some of our next products. Because we haven't been brainstorming new product lines in a while. Like we, we've been getting variations of the same because you can get a whole bunch of variations of hankies and, and napkins. But we haven't really thought too much about, you know, completely different product lines. And this is something that we just recently did. And, and we use ChatGPT4 for, for that. Interesting. Have you launched those product lines? We have yet, not yet. Or? We have not yet. Um, 
so the original plan was actually go to China because we used, we used to go to the Canton Fair every other year, but then COVID hit, and then we kind of made the last minute decision not to go this year just in case. So we'll probably end up going next year. Uh, but we do have some sourcing agents that are looking for these products for us right now. Very interesting. Yeah. We'll keep, keep you posted on that. Super interested in that as well. So, so of course, the content idea of writing bullet points, descriptions, things like that. We're we're still kind of much, very much in this exploration stage as an agency. How do we use AI? One interesting thing that we're running into is some of our larger clients are telling all their agencies, "Hey, you cannot do anything related to our brand on ChatGPT." And the reason they're giving us is because once you enter that information into ChatGPT, then then it becomes uh, now now OpenAI can use that in in other ways, right? So so there's some clients that are resistant to that, which is which is totally fine. Um, one way we're using it though, like just for the podcast as an example, so I'll write show notes and a title for a show. My assistant will then kind of plug it into ChatGPT and just ask for variations and. And it's, it's probably more than half the time we'll either use a suggestion directly from ChatGPT or we'll take that and tweak it and then, and then use that. And so we're using it that way. We're getting it to fuel copy ideas uh, for some of the things we're working on. Uh, but we're mostly just like playing around with it at this point. I've got, I've got some lofty ideas for AI related to like data analysis and stuff, but uh, we're, we're still playing around with it. But you guys are using it for content even outside of Amazon, correct? We've actually had a, I have a couple of posts that rank on the front page that was, I would say, 80% AI. Wow. Uh, Google made a statement in 20, their, their stance in, on that in 2022 was, hey, no way, don't use it. You're no, going to get penalized. No AI generated content. You, it will not work well for you. We don't want it on the internet, basically. Yeah, but in 2023, they softened their stance. They were like, it's yeah. okay. As long as it's not used in a spammy way, like they don't want like sites that are just purely AI. Um, so the way we're using it is we're using it to avoid the blank page syndrome, generating outlines, and then within the outlines, maybe generating content for each bullet point, and then having a human go through it, fact check it, and then kind of tailor it more for SEO. Uh, what's unfortunate about ranking on SEO, and, and I mentioned before we started recording that we actually increased our SEO rankings 4x in the last six months. Crazy, 4x in the last six months. And you identified that's your that's your most profitable source of traffic. Correct. And I, I'll just tell you this, just the way to rank in Google today, and maybe I used to do this, but uh, and, and I, I've been doing it for like the last decade, it's taken all the fun out of writing. <laughs> right? Because yeah. Google just wants the answer right. in a succinct way. And so now that's the way we write all of our blog posts. Right. Yeah. It, it's not like creative prose, whimsical prose, things like that. Not not so helpful, right? And it's actually hurtful. Yeah. 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 Because you you're you're kind of you're clouding the real answer or or the the substance that Google wants to find because yeah, if you look at you know what has Google's uh, goal been from the beginning, it's it's to organize the world's information and, and make it easily accessible and useful to everybody. And and part of what they're doing is just trying to surface answers, right? And and so yeah, the quicker you can answer a question that users are asking for, uh, the better. And and that's really what Google's all about, right? Answering questions. So you need to help them by answering questions very clearly and succinctly. So. And we're on the topic of AI. Like one thing we're using it for also is to write some of our email marketing autoresponder campaigns. Uh, for Bubble, we let us, I hate writing that stuff just because it's just not my thing. So usually I put my wife in charge and she hates writing. But 
we've actually trained the AI to sound like us. And yeah. you can actually have it write personal emails and just kind of tweak it a little bit as, as it goes to sound like So how like do you do you. that? You have to feed it some of your other content? Like here's yeah. 10 of my emails, write another one that sounds like me? Um, so I, shoot, I can't remember the terminology now right off the top of my head, but you feed in something that you've already written and you have it generate a voice paragraph. I think that's the term for it. And then you say, hey, using this voice paragraph, write an email about this and then it pumps something out. Interesting. So really you... You're maybe only giving it one piece to to then base that voice paragraph right off of. Very interesting. You can actually, if you have access to the API, you can actually. So this is one thing I'm working on on the side. Once this whole book launch is over with, I'm gonna. I have a class that I've been running for over a decade. I'm gonna transcribe all the videos and feed it in and create Steve Bot, so that whenever someone has a question, they can ask this bot first, and it's all my stuff, and it should answer them with my answers. As like a first line with of your defense. tone, with your voice, with your answers you've already given. Exactly. Yeah. Now to do that, to build Steve Bot, do you have to do you use a paid version of ChatGPT? I would assume, or or like you have to do use an upgraded version or something. Uh, yeah, you should you should get the paid version and just have access to the API. Yeah. Yeah, because I know if you, if you use just the the open free version or whatever, you're limited on the amount of content you can have it crawl or look at or 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 assess or whatnot. Plus, you want to be using ChatGPT4, which is only available to paid customers. Got it's actually it, significantly it. better for content. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And they, didn't they break a record on, on subscriptions, like going from zero to millions of subscribers in record time for ChatGPT4? Yeah, it's been nuts. It's been nuts. Um, let me just tell you this. Like, ChatGPT4 is probably comparable to, like, an average U.S. writer. Whereas ChatGPT 3.5 was more along the lines of like a an international writer Got it. that you would Got hire. It. So, I mean, it's sad to say this, but I I'm like downsizing my my writers because ChatGPT 4 is that good. I'm keeping my editor, you know, who's just going to massage it. But I mean, what's scary about AI is I think a lot of jobs are going to be lost. Yeah, I mean, you know, one one thing on the more optimistic side of, of AI, I hear people saying things like, hey, it's not going to replace anything, it's going to augment things. And I think to a certain degree that's true, right? Where you'll always need people with good business ideas, you'll always need a creator. You know, I've, I've seen, you know, like you have mid-journey that will create photos based on prompts and stuff. We always kind of need someone who's creative and giving those prompts. But I, I think there there is an element where it's like, well, yeah, but we don't need as many people, right? We so maybe it's not replacing all the writers, but it's replacing some. Or, you know, what I've heard, and I'm not I'm not a coder. I know I know you've got an engineering background, Steve, so you'd have a, a unique perspective here. But some people are thinking, hey, like, does this do away with really large develop large development teams? Like, do you just need one developer or two maybe, and then you use AI to generate everything else, and now you've got these smart developers that are just kind of checking and, and pulling things together. And now, you know, it's 10Xing, 100Xing their their output. So yeah, I think there is a scenario where you don't need as many people, um, which is which is uh, encouraging from like a profit standpoint, but kind of scary uh, from another standpoint as well. I mean, I keep in touch with my buddies in the hardware space and they're using it now to design hardware. Wow. Right? So it's going to replace white collar jobs. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of like, and, and I, I heard someone say this uh, not too long ago that, you know, the fear was, hey, machines are just going to take away all the manual labor jobs, right? And that's true for like some things like, you know, 
checkout, right? So someone working at, at point of sale at a retail store, yeah, you, got, you have the automated checkout and stuff. But it's actually coming for white collar jobs in much in a much more aggressive fashion than blue collar jobs, which is super interesting. So start your own business, folks. Uh, if, if you're... <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Start listening to the My Wife Quit Her Job uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, start an e-commerce store, not selling linens, but something else. <laughs> and uh, then use AI to write your content. So uh, so talk about that. So 4X, 4X your rent, your SEO rankings in the last six months. Is that strictly from just increasing your the amount of content you're creating? What do, what do, you, what do you attribute that to? It actually was not. Uh, I would say a large portion of it was rewriting existing content in such a way that Google wants the answer. This is what I was alluding to earlier when it sucked all the life out. So I literally pulled out all the anecdotes, all the stories, um, went for the featured snippet, which means you try to answer a question in like a sentence and try to hit that featured snippet spot. Um, did a bunch of link building, um, which still works. I'll, I'll just talk it's about all, some it. It totally more. works. And that's something we yeah. did from the very beginning all, all the way up to the end. You know, we shut down our SEO practice just because it was, it wasn't a passion anymore and nobody on our team wanted to do it. But link building was always like the most effective. You get good backlinks and it's still true today, which is pretty crazy. It's still true, but it's a pain in the butt. And I'll, let me just talk about some creative ways that we, that we built some links. Um, this is a simple thing that any one of you guys out there listening can do is to issue special discounts for military, teachers, and students, and like nurses and first responders. So we got links from like military.com. All you got to do is say, hey, I got a discount for the military. And then you reach out to all the military sites and they'll link to you and post it. Another way we did it was uh, I now have a Bumblebee Linen scholarship and a My Wife Quitter Job scholarship. So I've got EDU backlinks from a lot of top universities all over the U.S., and we just give away a five hundred dollars scholarship every year for both companies. That's so crazy. That was a uh, that I remember that idea from a long time ago. Like I don't know, two thousand twelve or thirteen or something insane like oh, that. Oh, has it been but around that long? I didn't. Okay, it's I didn't been realize around a people... long, long time. Okay. Maybe not quite that long, but a long time because those EDU links are like super powerful, even if it's a no follow link. Um, and so super smart. So you're doing doing the scholarship thing, and yeah, for the cost of five hundred bucks, one you're doing something cool, you're giving a scholarship, but but two, you're getting those high quality backlinks. It's super interesting. I, I hadn't heard anybody, anybody doing that for a while, but I love that. And, and a lot of large part of it, and the problem with SEO is you do all these things, you don't know which one made the most had the most effect. Uh, the other thing we did was we carefully link sculpted everything to our money pages. And I basically found out like the primary products that make the most money on Bumblebee Linens. And I put those in the menu. And all the other categories, I put all on a separate page with one link. So they're not easily accessible anymore. But, and then all like the scholarship page, the first responders page, all those coupon pages, we just link to those money pages. So we're just sculpting everything towards. So you're getting that page rank coming to those scholarship pages. Uh, and then, and then you're, you're sending those to the money pages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, love that, man. That's, that's super, super so smart. I don't, I don't know which one had the most effect, but. Yeah, and and that is the thing about SEO. It's a little hard to harder to pinpoint. You can't like turn it on or off, right? You just got to like do the work and keep doing the right things, and then eventually you'll you'll be rewarded with great rankings. But but yeah, uh, you, you do you do enough of the right things, and you can do stuff like four extra traffic, uh, which which is amazing. So a lot of then to so use ChatGPT for then to look at existing content and rewrite it and kind of pull things out and make no, it. No, actually, for the existing content part, that was all that was all kind of manual. 
Those all okay. All new it. content is 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 helped with Chat ChatGPT four. Got it. Um, mainly because rewriting stuff and knowing what to take out requires yeah. a little bit of human intervention. It yeah. does. It does. Yeah, yeah it's, that's pretty tricky. Yeah. Cool. Um. Any any other thoughts or predictions or or insights on on AI? I'm just curious. Uh, other other parts of your perspective there. I mean, the only thing I fear is, I I, I think this is going to be the year of spam, right? Think of how many people are just pumping out ebooks on Amazon right now. And, and as a result, I don't know if you've heard, but Amazon's been canceling a lot of people's Amazon KDP accounts if they're really? suspected of putting out low content books or, you know, regurgitated books. But just the sheer number of websites, blog posts, ebooks, it's just been astronomical. Yeah. And, and then how do you feel like you're, uh, so now you're browsing the web. Do you want to read, read something that a bot created, or do you want to read something that a human crafted and they, they thought through and like you're, you're, you're reading a, a, an author's life, right? Rather than something that's just cranked out by the machine. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think the Google search results have been crap for many years now, mm. personally, because everyone's be, gamified. Because it. of that, because of kind of the spammy content that's out there. It has nothing to do with ChatGPT, really. It's been around for like the last five years. I mean, if if you Google something, it's all the same regurgitated stuff Yeah, that's on the front page. And it's been a problem for a while. This is why I think Google's ripe for disruption. I mean, they're going to take a hit. So whatever this Project Magi thing they're working on, I'm pretty sure it's going to hurt their ad business. It'll have to, right? And that, that's, that's really what I heard about, like the reason BARD was delayed so much, which is their answer to to uh, Microsoft's uh, version of, of chat is because Google is is 80%, 80 plus percent of their revenue is ad driven, right? Microsoft is like a, a 2% of their revenue is ad driven. So they're like, who cares? We'll just let, let's go scorched earth on our our AI um, offering through through search and let's see what it does where Google's like, they've got to be productive. Yeah, if they, they, can't, they can't kill the golden goose there and... Um, so yeah, so we'll see. So Project Magi, we'll see what that looks like if it's successful. It's awesome, but but it's gonna have to hurt their ad business. So yeah, man, I'm I'm very uh, curious to watch that unfold. And I'm curious how it's gonna affect my ads too, right? Yeah, that we run. So yeah, no uh, doubt. Here's the other way I think about it, though. In the event, let's say they nerf all the content sites, like by just giving the answer. Well, guess what? I'm gonna stop creating content. Yes. And that's going to lead to less that they can feed in to right. their tools. So I, I'm just curious how that's going to play out. Yeah. And then, then we also are like, well, okay, what if you just disincentivize people from writing content? So then you're not feeding the AI good content. So then what does that do to future content? All, all kinds of interesting uh, questions there, philosophical questions that, that it opens up. But uh, hey, man, this has been super fun. I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time. I want to do a couple of things. Uh, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the, the book. So family first entrepreneur, I know you, you've got a family, beautiful kids. You're, you're very, uh, intentional about spending time with your family and then pouring into what's the most important part of your life, your family, not your business. Uh, but, but what is, what is the book all about and who did you write it for? So the reason why I wrote the book, Brett, is because I feel like 99% of the entrepreneurship advice out there is either wrong or just given by a bunch of single dudes who have the time to work 80 hours a week. You just got to crush it, man. Sacrifice. All about the business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's not true. So I, I run two seven-figure businesses. I work 20 hours a week, pretty much. And I have one VA for the blog that handles almost everything. I believe that if you structure your business correctly, 
and all you want to do is make a couple million dollars a year, then you can do it in such a way that you can spend time with your family and, you know, spend time with your loved ones. Now, of course, if you want to start something that's like a hundred million dollar business or whatnot, or, you know, a billion dollar business, you're going to need to hire a team and all that stuff. But most of us, honestly, and I don't know you're the reason why you started your business, uh, Brett, but for me, it was just all about freedom. I like pain. I like pain. And <laughs> yeah, you like pain. Trouble. <laughs> it's it's all about freedom, right? Most people is, don't yeah. go into this wanting to start like a billion dollar company. And what happened to me was I just kind of lost track of that. So once once Bumblebee Lennon started getting some traction, I started trying to grow that thing, scaling like crazy. And I ended up driving my wife crazy because we'd set these goals and we'd hit them. And then I'd move the bar more the next year. And I'm cheap. I'm a I'm a frugal Asian dude. I don't spend that much money. <laughs> we make way more than we spend. So what's the point of trying to grow the revenue like right, every right. single year? Yeah. Just growing for the sake of growing is all you're doing at that point. Yeah. Exactly. So so the book really is about how you can build a business that suits your lifestyle while still making a good a lot a good amount of money and how you balance the two. I love it, man. I'm I'm excited to read it. I bought a bunch of copies so I can give them to friends and and stuff. And I want to support you and your journey. So proud of you. I don't know if I'll put it on on my fridge. I'll leave that to your mom. <laughs> but uh, but I'm excited to get to get some copies and and share them with people that are close to me. So uh, for those that are listening, are like, okay, hey, yeah, I, that sounds awesome. I want to check out the book. How can they find it? I'm assuming it's it's uh, Amazon and and all over the place. Yeah, so you can go to thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com and I'm giving away a lot of pre-order bonuses. So you'll get a three-day workshop on e-commerce. You'll get a two-day workshop on how to make money with content because I podcast, YouTube, and blog. And then I'm doing this family first challenge uh, where I'm actually going to go in there and work with people for six weeks on how to help them figure out their side hustle or just kind of talk about imbalances uh, and, and how it can help them out with their businesses. So those are all just free pre-order bonuses that you can get the family first entrepreneur you can order it anywhere amazon probably the most common place cool so i'll I'll link to all that in the show notes so check it out there as well if somebody's like hey i gotta check out the podcast gotta learn more about what steve chu is up to where can they connect with you because you're you're active on the socials as well or is, is it mainly is it mainly youtube uh probably youtube do you consider youtube social it is ish, yeah. I think it's still lumped into the social platforms, but it, it is quite different. Yeah, I would say YouTube and Twitter. YouTube and Twitter, got it, got it. My okay. primary places. Yeah. Awesome. YouTube and Twitter, and then uh, Seller Summit, an annual event. I think it's a must-attend event for sellers that are that are trying to grow their Amazon business and D 2 C and want to hang out with a tight-knit community that's really growing and smart. Probably based on when this is going to be released, it may be after Seller Summit. <laughs> But uh, where, where can people find out more about Seller Summit, uh, if not this year, uh, next year? Yeah, it's just go to sellersummit.com. And, and really the main reason to go is to to hang out with Brett. You know, <laughs> he usually has this entourage around him, which prevents the riffraff from getting to him. But we have a no riffraff, we have a no entourage policy at, at Seller no Summit. No entourage so. policy. So yeah, I will, I will, I'll take the picture. I'll sign the, I'll sign whatever <laughs> you give me, you know. But, uh, but no, we'd love to hang out and uh, it's, it's an awesome event. So Steve Chu, ladies and gentlemen. See, this has been a blast. Uh, you're a super smart guy. Love hanging out with you. Also love that you typically poke fun at our mutual friend, Andrew Udarian, at e-commerce fuel, which yes. uh, I love that you in your almost every talk that you give, 
you sneak in a couple of jabs at Udarian, which really just warms my soul. I love that guy, but it's also fun to, to make fun of him. So it's so easy to make fun of him when you know he runs probably one of the most successful uh, e-commerce uh, forums, and he doesn't sell anything himself. <laughs> so, there's an example right there. Another jab, yeah, <laughs> Udarian. Uh, but uh, no, that dude, dude's super smart. We're both investors in some of his projects, and yeah. he runs an awesome forum and. And it does a good job of, you know, t- taking the flack that's given him. So that's awesome. So, all right, man. Hey, really appreciate it. We'll have to do it again sometime. Looking forward to hanging out with you in Florida here in just a few weeks. Sounds good. Thank you. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We would love to hear from you. So what would you like to hear more of on the podcast? Any suggestions, ideas, uh, guest ideas? We are open to that. And if you've not done it, hey, leave us a review. Or if you think someone else will find this show helpful, please share it. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on resources and guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.